welcome to another edition of Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm Kurt Flagel, one of your uh, two hosts on this show, Flagel with a P, and we have Chris Wolwin, Wolwin with, with a W O H. W H O L. Oh, wait, W O H L. Correct. I'm going back to school to learn how to spell right now. And, uh, and we have Annie, our producer. Hi, Annie. She's out there somewhere. Hi, say something. Hi, I'm here. She's getting here. her gut. Don't you worry. And you're, and I can tell right now you are so excited to be here. I can tell. I am. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, we're excited. I just was not to ready you. to say hi yet. <laughs> oh. Oh, were you? Were you? Did I interrupt your other work that you do for us behind the scenes? Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact. Yes. <laughs> so, that, you know, just to kind of recap, I think it would be good to talk about what this, what our show is all about. And really, it is about uh, through life and the brokenness of life that we are seeking to become more aware of God because we believe he is the one who heals us. He is the one who breathes life into our dead circumstances we talk a lot about broken circumstances but even the things that feel dead seem dead to us can he is the one he can resurrect everything and so tonight we're excited because we have a special guest um and he is going his name is john byron he's going to be talking to us about hearing god's voice because if you want god to speak life into your into your circumstances that seem dead or broken at least then you need to be able to hear him and sometimes that's pretty difficult so we're going to be talking to him in just a little while and we uh, love our live listeners and our non-live listeners. That sounds weird, like undead, like walking dead zombies. Yeah. Talking I, was gonna, about, I was wondering where you're going to go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about the people that listen afterwards when this is in a, in a recorded form on, on podcast. So thank you all for just being a part of this with us. And even though this is my awkward shout out to all of you, I just want to say, I really appreciate you. If you're live, unlive, undead, we're, we're or appreciating the fact or awkward <laughs> like me. Appreciate the fact you're listening. And uh, we, I, we've been doing this a few weeks now, right, Chris, that we've yeah. been talking about just to get things going, you know, like, in my uh, my struggles with my disease, I've learned that w- one of the things that helps me with this with this uh, I don't I don't even know where I'm going with that, but this disease that I have, I one of the things that helps is actually going and doing uh, pool aerobics, water aerobics, mm. and they do warm ups, you know, to get the blood flowing a little bit, loosen things up. And so we're going to do a little bit of warm-ups with some trivia just to get our, our minds and our right. hearts. Now, you don't have to wear those tulip dresses like the ladies do in the pool when they're doing their exercises and stuff, do you? I, I do not wear a dress. I promise you that. <laughs> um, I, if you can't see it, I I like have my hand up like a Boy Scout. I'm Scout's Honor, even though I've never been a Boy That's Scout. That's not I'm how you do Scout's that. Honor, man. <laughs> Girl Scouts honor. That's Cut not how you do it either. <laughs> I'll find you the hand gesture so you what should see it. What if I cross my fingers? Is that? Oh wait, that's worse, right? <laughs> well, so to get our to get things flowing tonight, Chris, do you uh, 
you have any trivia for us, you started this weeks ago. It's your fault. Well, I, I did run across one that I didn't know. And it has to do with oak trees. And, of course, we all love oak trees uh, just because of their strength and their ability to age long and well. But I had no idea how long their root systems can grow. If you, hmm. if you were to take all of their roots and, you know, create a linear line, connect them all. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any guesses how long that root system could be if you took took a large, you know, uh, it would have to be a very large tree for this root system to be this long. Do you have any guesses how long this root system could be? A hundred acres. No, you have to think distance. Think, distance. think in, like if you take all the roots and you connect them one by, you know, from tail to head to tail to head. It could reach to the moon. No, it yeah. couldn't. Uh. <laughs> Well, I, I was know. reaching for the stars, so. Yeah, you might as well say, uh, you know, Alpha Centauri. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. But I had no idea that the root system could be hundreds of miles long. Okay. Wow. Hundreds of miles for one tree. For but one part tree. Of, uh, part of the reason that that can happen is because part uh, at some stage or phase of the root system, uh, you have these little, uh, like, 18-inch feelers that grow out of a, of a main root. And so um, they can happen by the thousands, and it creates stability in the ground for that oak tree. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the, the amazing thing is that there is so much stability for these, for these oak trees that get all gangly and so high, and yet in the storm... They can they can withstand the storm, and part of it is because of a deep, deep, and uh, wide root system. They have a very large tap root that goes way, way down, but then at some point everything comes out of that tap root, and it spreads uh, sometimes miles. That root system can spread for miles around that That's tree. Yeah, and and you know what's fascinating about that? Yeah. One of my trivia that I have is is also in line with yours, and this we're not planning this. Like last week, we both had trivia about weddings. Okay. And, and now we both have trivia about this. So do you know what the largest known living organism is on the planet? Anyone? No. Have it? It, I, it, I mean, I could guess. I would you're not. I can't be a tree because we're talking about trees. So it has. It to is be. a grove of asp of quaking aspens that are connected. They're called pando Latin for I spread out. There's a there is a genetically identical quake uh, grove of genetically identical quaking aspens in Utah, with an interconnected root system that is a hundred wow. acres, a hundred acres, and it is estimated to be eighty thousand years old if you go by whatever standards they're using, but it's a hundred old earth. Yeah. yeah. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> but it's, it's a hundred years. It's a hundred acres and it's one wow. organism. So wow. isn't that weird that we both once again had trivia about trees. We are not planning this. This is really, yeah, this is, this yeah. is kind of weird. What is it you're <laughs> drinking? I'll tell you what I'm drinking. <laughs> 
I actually at the moment I had realized I could use some water and I'm I'm drinking coffee. So you are drinking tonight at at this time of night, Chris? Well, I was a little tired this afternoon, so Mm. Okay. Well, uh we have I guess at this point unless you do you have did you have another trivia or should we go in? I'm 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 trivia tapped out. (laughs) Okay, well before we roll into things just want to give people the number if, if you're on blogtalkradio.com then you're seeing you can look at the screen and see the phone number but I want to give it anyway because it gives me something to do and I feel good about myself so here it is the number if you want to talk with us we're going to be in a little while taking questions if you have some or comments especially with John we'd love for you to jump in and interact with him uh, tonight the number is 323 323- Five eight zero five seven five five. That is three two three five eight zero five seven five five. And you can chat with us on Facebook. You can give us your questions there. You can also email us at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail dot com. Did I did I miss miss anything, Annie, our wonderful producer who so loves to uh, have me like put you on the spot? No, it's just bad when I'm in the wrong spot and then I have to click buttons. It's just way too much work for me. (laughs) I really don't like to click the buttons. (laughs) Well, uh, well, I need you to click some buttons because I'd love to bring John on and and say hi to him. You want to talk to John? I can bring John in. John, you're coming on. Okay. John. Hello. I hear hear you. Yay. I'm here. I'm here. Hey. I was I was here for a while, but I kept dropping out. So I'm glad I'm I'm actually here and can hear you guys and you can hear me. So I I missed the trivia though. I missed the end. I miss I got everything about the end to end. If you were to stretch it out, how? But I know ne- I didn't hear the distance. How long was it? It can be hundreds of miles. Hundreds, hundreds of miles. miles. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. It's well, there marvelous. you go. Yeah. That was the most that was me. the significant piece I had missed. So <laughs> left and, you hanging. And then I had trivia that was also um about a tree. So it was really interesting. This is two weeks in a row that Chris and I have given trivia that was like very similar to each other. Last week we both had trivia about weddings. Stuff to do with oh. weddings, and this week we had okay. trivia. Both had trivia stuff to do about trees. So it's really I'm, so in I'm some really, way you feel like your minds are in sync. <laughs> I don't know which one of us or is in the sink. <laughs> and maybe that's not something you really want after all. <laughs> <laughs> Going down the drain. So, John, you, yes. you have a ministry, Press Pause Ministries, that you mm-hmm. run. Would you, would you mind telling us uh, a little bit about, before we get rolling, would you mind telling us a little bit about your ministry? Sure, I'd love to. Um, the ministry that I do, Press Pause Ministries, is basically about helping people create space in their life to experience God. And so uh, I travel and do some different things to uh, encourage people in that way. I do some spiritual direction with people, and space is always an issue in that. The thing about our lives is we tend to be move pretty quickly. Uh, and that tends to be the nature of culture. 
right now. Uh, okay. The things go fairly fast. And uh, with that, oftentimes the idea of pause seems very counterintuitive to the ways that we might operate on a daily basis. So I try to encourage people to pause. Uh, pause, in, at least from my perspective, tends to add meaning to life. Um, there's a great quote by a, a woman named Macrina Wiedeker, and she, uh, she said, uh, she used this illustration, she said, when I was uh, young, I used to like to type letters to my friends without pressing the space bar. Mm. And she said, she goes on and says, you know, when you don't press the space bar, you really have a mess going on. <laughs> mm. And she says, and it's hard to decipher what's being said. She says, it's the spaces in between that help you understand the message. Mm. And so my hope is that I can be with people in such a way that will encourage space in their lives, give permission to pause as much as anything else, so that they can experience what God might be wanting to say in those moments of pause when they may have a bit more space to listen. All right, you sold me. Sign me up. I'm in. <laughs> well, there you go. So, John, you mentioned the word spiritual direction. You mentioned those two words. Would you define those for those maybe who don't know what that means? Sure. Um, you know, in uh, various traditions, uh, there are people that come alongside other people to give uh, maybe some help in discerning the path, whatever that is. In the Christian tr tradition, spiritual direction has to do with uh, someone sitting with someone else, being with someone else as a co-listener for the Spirit of God in that moment. And so a spiritual director uh, is there basically to listen with uh, another person for what God is saying to that person. And ultimately, uh, the Holy Spirit is the director uh, in a very ultimate sense, but the, the uh, human spiritual director is there to pay attention, to pay attention with this other person who is maybe describing their experience and wanting some insight and guidance. And typically the purpose is not necessarily just to find the next thing they're supposed to do, but really to determine what is it that God might be doing in them to further their transformation uh, in Christ Jesus. Hmm. And, that, and that brings me to you know, a question I really want to ask you, and that is about you. What are like some mm -hmm. significant moments for you in your life where you have been growing and learning to hear and recognize God's voice? Well, I think the tradition that I came out of in terms of a uh, first a spiritual tradition, but a Christian tradition, um, probably uh, pretty much relegated hearing from God as kind of synonymous with reading your Bible. Okay, so if you wanted to hear from God, you read your Bible, which is great encouragement. I mean, uh, the Bible is a, is a primary resource to uh, kind of understanding and hearing God speak. Uh, but I pretty much narrowed it down to the only way God spoke for a lot of the time that I was growing up. 
it just didn't seem in the places that I was uh, fellowshipping and things like that, that there was a lot of room for other things. In fact, uh, sometimes the idea of people hearing from God put them in some places where their uh, mental capacities might have been questioned. Uh, they might have, uh, <laughs> they, you know, you, it was, uh, it, it was the kind of thing where you might question whether their sanity was really in place at that point. You know, I'm, I'm hearing voices type of a thing. And, uh, and yet the reality is, uh, that most of the traditions we have have this sense of, you know, I felt, uh, people will say things like, I feel, I felt led by, uh, God to do this. And so you want to ask the question, okay, so what, what was that? Yeah. How did, how did you sense that? What was, what was the defining, uh, parameters to that? And, uh, for some people it, it just was, well, I was, I was praying and I had an impression or something like this. And so even in my tradition that narrowed it down maybe to the scriptures, there still were those those comments that people would make was of, you know, we're we're trying to follow what the Lord wants us to do here. Hmm. And I, you know, I always was saying, okay, so if that's, if we're going to say scripture is the only way we hear that, then you're looking for a particular verse that's telling you this. And, uh, or you're looking for, uh, you know, some, you know, sign on the page, basically, to describe the experience you're having and what you should do with it. And so it began to be a little bit uh, awkward in some of those moments, but that was the way I grew up. And, uh, you know, I was pretty satisfied with that, too. Uh, I didn't, you know, I read a lot of things on, you know, knowing God's will, but, you know, it was, it it typically kind of boiled down to, you know, you you have the scriptures, that should be enough. So it is in a in oh. in one sense. So uh, yeah, and so, that's true. That's true. It is scripture is powerful. And the Holy Spirit does speak through scripture. Um but obviously something changed for you uh, <laughs> from then to now. And so you you had some kind of significant breakthroughs or or experiences so w- would you tell us like a few of those like along the way or even that first one like what started you realizing there was God spoke more than through and I don't want to say than just through the scripture because that sounds weird but more than the scripture in other ways well what I what I kind of like to see is that if you've got if you've got scripture then maybe uh, and God uses that as a as a very primary kind of a way to communicate uh communicate you know truth understanding about him and different things like that and uh, that are there places beyond that does are there other ways and uh, i mean we for me um i think there were several and a lot of them came as i as other people became vehicles through which god spoke a word to me okay hmm. Yeah, uh, the man that was maybe a primary mentor to me um, uh, sat with me one time when I was in college. I remember, and I was at that point in time, I was a biology major and uh, was uh, flunking biology and getting an F in chemistry. It wasn't looking really promising, uh, and I was thinking I was going to go into medicine, and that would have really been scary. 
<laughs> considering how I was doing in the sciences. Um, but I remember sitting with this mentor, and he wasn't aware of what was going on in my schooling, but he sat with me uh, and just made a very interesting comment. He said, uh, I had done some volunteer kinds of works uh, with this uh, church that I was going to, and he was leading a ministry, and I had kind of been part of that. And uh, he just sat with me and said, you know, have you ever considered going into the ministry? Hmm. And, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, I was I was thinking maybe I'd go into something where there was a lot of money. Uh, but that was, uh, you know, it was not necessarily uh, something I had considered at all. And when he said that, I was, I think part of me was really flattered uh, mm. that somebody I admired so much would consider that I would be someone that would do something like what he is doing. Yeah. So, but it was a place where God, in a sense, uh, put a foot in the door of my life, so mm. to speak, so that I might consider looking through into an area that I had not really considered before. Wow. And that was one of the first occasions. And the way it came was not necessarily me opening my Bible and saying, don't go into medicine, but go into the ministry. Uh, <laughs> but it was someone sitting with me, much like a spiritual director might, and just listening with me for what God might be doing in my life. And uh, giving uh, a sense of a word at that moment. And I've been in situations where people have told me things uh, that they had a word from the Lord about me and different things. And this was not framed in that way. This was framed more as a sense of this is something I see in you. And in hindsight, I look at that and I think God was doing in something in him to communicate with me. Hmm. And we see that, I mean, we don't we see that all through Scripture, that you, you, we talk about the Scriptures, right, as being yep. that very that authoritative word from God. And yeah. don't we see that all through Scriptures where God sent people or used people to speak what he wanted for another person or people groups? Sure. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, if you go through the prophets – that's a primary role the prophets are playing is that they are God is calling them into people's lives to speak a word. And yeah. so at least at one level, that's one place I, I heard the Lord. I think another one, and this was not so much me, but it was my wife and me all of a sudden going, wow, kind of a thing. Um, one of, when I first was married, uh, and my wife and I have been married, I guess, like 44 years. But when right. we were first married, first year, first apartment, uh, living in, in small space together, and I really had a pretty incredible uh, temper that I tried my best not to let out. But every once in a while, I got angry, and uh, uh, and and you know that learning about that has been something as well. But I remember getting. She and I had this uh, argument about stuff, and I got really just kind of upset. I had a bicycle. I took my bicycle down three flights of stairs, got on my bike, rode around the block like six times, came back upstairs, brought the bike inside, and I went into where my wife had 
you know, was in the bedroom and she was, uh, she had been crying and I realized, mm. oh man, I'm, I'm in bad shape now. Uh, but I said, I said, so, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I got so upset. And she said, that's okay. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. Uh, she said, uh, and I said, but you've been crying, you know? And she said, well, you know, I, when you left, I just threw myself on the bed and I just wept. And I said, God, why can't he understand me? Mm. And she said it was so remarkable because at that moment, it was very much for her like an audible voice spoke to her and just said, because I'm the only one that will ever truly understand you. Wow. Wow. Now, when she said that to me, I said, okay, we're going to the psychiatrist right now. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I, I said, basically, you know, wow. And, and I was a little hurt because I really – in my, my ego wanted to say, oh, I do understand. Oh, I am right here. Oh, I do get it. But the reality that she spoke at that moment was incredible truth. And uh, it just was something that, you know, I looked at and I said, okay, God, God is speaking into this moment. Whatever arrogance I might have had about being the one that is going to understand my wife has just been blown out the door. Hmm. And uh, so... You know, I was in my place, and all I could say was, man, that's incredible. How do we encourage that kind of relationship with Jesus where you are weeping and hearing those kinds of things from him? Yeah. So one question on that one in particular, obviously you just said, just to reiterate, you said that it it led you on a track to hear uh, how can we hear from God in that way? And so there was a pursuit that began, I think, and I would love for you to touch more about that in a moment, but just the one specific thing you said was it really caused you to pause that very clear mm-hmm. thing about your wife. You were in your place. You understand that. And that was, and you, you mentioned, and by the way, congratulations. You said 44 years of, of yeah. Marriage. I, yeah. I'm barely 44. No, I'm more than 44 years, but I'm, I'm barely there. So that's amazing. I think you, you know, that's an amazing feat. That's huge in our culture, especially these days. So well done on that. Well, you know, we we have to kind of take that stance. But for the grace of God, there go I. I yes. would probably be a mess. And yet. <laughs> God's grace is good that way. So You're riding your bike around the neighborhoods. Uh but yeah. I the question I have in that is in in the years, so there's been a lot of years in marriage since mm-hmm. then. And that was early on. That that significant moment for you obviously was significant for your wife, Francie, but for you mm-hmm. how, how do you think that hearing God speak to her in that way saying that, you know, no one else will understand you except me fully understand you except me. How do you think that has, has what kind of seed has that planted in you? Where, and how has that grown in you personally? And in that idea of God, no one else understanding each of us like God. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think at, at one level, Again, I, my ego is large enough that I like to think I get it. 
the reality is there I get so little of it mm. that it's it's and I like to think that I know myself. Uh the last 20 years of my life have been full of occasions to wonder about how much I know myself and in a good way uh, that have been uh, enlightening, you might say. Just things that you think you're one way and then you realize that that's not really the the way you are. Uh, I love to think that I've managed my persona well. (laughs) And... (laughs) And a lot of life is about how others perceive me. You know, it's about trying to figure out how am I going to be like, how am I, how are people going to think of me in this situation? Will I say the right thing, do the right thing, act the right way, whatever it is. So managing persona, um, I'm I'm still working through all those kinds of things. Okay, mm-hmm. but I do realize how little I know and how much that management of persona uh, moves me from uh, the place of somewhat being authentic to being less authentic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm, but those are places that God is helping me with and he kind of alerts me to things along the way, but it is a, it is a process. Uh, I, you know, layers are getting stripped away and I'm, seeing more of both the ugliness of my life and the beauty of the life God is developing in me. So it's not just the one, but it is, you know, seeing both having uh, this ability to kind of sit with these, the tension of the fact that uh, something great is happening, but it's not done yet. Yeah. Well, we're going to, go to a commercial break here in just a a second, but I want to leave you with this, uh, John, just to ponder as we do Mm -hmm. this, um, is, is when you talk about, you know, God, no one understands you like God and Francine, all of us. Mm -hmm. The the, the question I want to leave you with is, uh, to ponder is when you re the more you've realized that God understands you, knows you fully, what kind of what kind of emotional response have you are have you had to that understanding that that God really under, knows you and understands everything about you? So I want to leave you mm-hmm. with that to kind of unpack. You know, like kind of it could be a scary thing to go. Oh, God understands everything about me. He knows me like mm-hmm. nobody else. So I just want to know what that's done. Like the longer that's been your experience. Mm-hmm. What has that done in you? You know, like okay. what kind of emotional response, thoughts you've had? Has it been encouraging, discouraging, frightening, like that kind of mm-hmm. thing? So think about that, and uh, and Annie will will take will put it to you. I think. Hey, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Life Hurts, God Heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323-580-5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals. Or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. 
We'd also like to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Link Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word, or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. Thank you, Annie. Hey, so Chris, don't don't uh, be my silent partner in this. This isn't like uh, Penn and Teller or anything like that. So if you have questions, I'd love for <laughs> you to... Uh, to jump into this <laughs> that'd be great no one can see that Chris is doing his best to become a mime right now he's acting it out it's hilarious so you know make sure you I'm sure you are thinking up great questions Chris so. I, have, I have a number of questions but oh. John has a question to answer so oh you're so kind okay we'll start we'll start there then uh how how did it make me feel? Uh, I think was at least a part of the question you asked about yeah. uh, what, this understanding and this awareness that God knows me, yes. that God understands me like no other. Yeah, um, I mean, at least I think even in growth, even as you've grown yeah. into that. Well, and I think part of it is <laughs> when I when I would think about God's understanding of me, because I you know if I if I read say Psalm 139, you get kind of a picture of the extent to which God knows you, at least uh, from a, a biblical standpoint, it, it reveals some things about that. Um, and it's pretty extensive, but it is, uh, you know, you read then uh, David's uh, Psalm 51 and just his experience of confession and, uh, you know, uh, lament over his sin and things like this. Those two together, uh, you just have the sense that there's a, oftentimes what God might see of me could be fairly frightening because mm-hmm. it was um, stuff that maybe I had done a pretty good job of hiding from uh, at the kind of the horizontal level from people. But when you begin to grapple with the thing that God knows it all, um, for me, there was it was frightening. I think there was also a lot of shame in that mm. uh, for different parts of my life that I looked at and said, you know, that's uh, I don't really like that about myself. I, I mentioned my anger. Um, I mean, there were moments in my life looking back where it was it was fairly explosive. Uh, you know, I, I didn't hit anybody, but. You know, my words were enough to be, uh, you know, blows to the body kind of thing. And uh, my, you know, I could raise the, the my voice and I, I just, it, it could be rage, basically. And mm-hmm. after the fact, you look at that and you go, what in the world was I thinking? And all of a sudden, you know, it's like the beast has gotten out of the cage. And you want to say, how do I put it back in? How do I get the beast back in the cage as quick as I can? You know, and so you get it back in the cage, but you're left with this uh, 
this mark. And, and really, to some degree, it was not only what that, I mean, God knew that. And at one level, I, I recognized that, you know, he didn't strike me with lightning after those various fits of rage that I'd have. But it did leave an impression on people that I regretted as mm-hmm. well. And so what God saw of me oftentimes and what he would, I would want to move as far away from those occasions, time, place, uh, as much as, as I could, get, get away from the situation. So if I exploded, I'd get out of it. But it was God who, who would bring it back up. <laughs> he would say, okay, we haven't, we haven't dealt with that. You've run from it. You've avoided. You've you've dismissed it. You've maybe blamed somebody else for what's going on. Um, you may have even said you're sorry, but whatever it is, the root of that rage, whatever it is, uh, you you've been unwilling to talk about or think about. So, mm-hmm. in those places, sometimes it was just kind of frightening and maybe difficult, and that's. Part of this is recognizing that to be transformed is not necessarily just everything going nicely. Uh, that it's hard sometimes because things get exposed that you'd prefer weren't there. Hmm. And that's been part of the revelation for me. Part of hearing God for me is God, in a sense, not just telling me about himself, but telling me about me. Did did you, in him speaking into that place, you talked about a root that was so that what I'm hearing is the anger was mm-hmm. was a surface response to something deeper that God wanted to direct you to face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would you is that is that something? <laughs> that you would be open to sharing like what he's revealed to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, here's the thing. I'm not sure I've, I've gotten completely down to the bottom of the thing. Okay? okay. I think I've discovered some things. I think God's helped me discover some things. Part of my story is that, um, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, I, uh, when I moved to Modesto, well, actually it would have been longer than that, but before I moved to Modesto, I had a buddy who had, uh, kind of gone off the deep end, uh, at least looking outwardly at him, uh, you know, he, and he would kind of say he went off the deep end and he got into AA. Okay. And, and he came and showed up at our house with his wife and his kids and they sat in our living room and he basically just said, he was a mess. And this was a guy who was um, an unbelievable uh, communicator. He was an unbelievable athlete. He was an unbelievable leader. He had personality that just oozed out of him. And uh, for all that, there were things in his life I had no clue about. And I had known this guy for a while. And when he sat in my living room and just basically said, you know, the, the reality that I'm dealing with now is that Jesus loves me and there's not a thing I can do about it. (laughs) Now his wording was a little more colorful than that. (laughs) But but that's basically what he said is that Jesus loves me and there's 
not a thing I can do about it. And as he sat there and began to just share that he was this mess, it made me really uncomfortable because I thought, you know, there's a lot of mess in me that I prefer no one knows about. And so part of the dealing with my anger was when I came to Modesto, um, they had a, this church that I was a part of had a pretty significant recovery ministry. And uh, I was actually the supervisor for the people that ran the ministry. Mm. And they kept coming to me and they said, would you, would you kind of, would you like to kind of sit in a small group with us and kind of work through the 12 steps? And, and, you know, I wasn't adverse to it. I thought, you know, I'm supervising these guys. It's probably a good thing for me to know what they're doing. Um, and I'd had this other experience. And I felt like, you know, God, if you want to use something in my life, I, I hope I, I'm at least open to the idea. It may not be where we go, but, but at least give me openness to the idea. So eventually I did sit in a group with a group of men and, and uh, kind of went through the 12 steps. And one of the things that, was part of that was I did a fearless moral inventory, which would be the fourth step. And uh, in doing that, it all of a sudden was one of the places we talk about, you know, we're talking about hearing God's voice. It was one of the places God spoke to me. Uh, It was amazing how as I began to go through my life, go through my past, go through uh, my, just how I lived and and the different things that have happened uh, on my journey. Uh, some of them really good, and some of them that were not fun. And I looked at those things. The more I, I was looking at those things, all of a sudden God began to speak different things about those situations to me. And he began to bring things up to me in that through that process. So that process was very helpful in God kind of pointing out some of the different places of my woundedness, places that I had, you know, kind of dismissed, places of my fear. And one of the things I realized is that what my anger, uh, at one level, and like I said, I'm not sure I've gotten to the complete root of this, but at one level, my anger is a response to my feeling afraid mm-hmm. and not knowing how to protect myself. Oh. Mm-hmm. So like a sense of powerlessness yeah. to protect yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the rage was a way to talk back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was a way to speak back. But it was my, my rage was my authority. It really wasn't any authority that had any power over anything. All it mm-hmm. did was leave people kind of beat up and bruised. Mm-hmm. It didn't really stop anything. When when you say in that season that you that God spoke to you, do you do you remember sp- the specific ways, or at least a, a one or two that that started to come out as you were doing this this uh, fearless moral inventory? Um, I, I don't, I'm sure I'm not sure if those were the words you used exactly, but I, I did use those words. Okay, um, <clears throat> so when when you were going through that, do you, do you remember right now, you know, at this point in your life, the more specific ways when you said he spoke to you, that, that message came through to you 
sure. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. Two examples. One having to do with fear. Um, it was a. I I went back and I was I had a sponsor that basically said, look, start when you you know from ages one to five and write down as much as you can remember about your life. And where God wants to point out some things, pay attention. And that's what I did. And then I went five to ten, and ten to fifteen, and I went on into my life. One of the things I realized was that when I was in elementary school, I there was a bully that lived. Well, I describe him as but there was a kid that lived on the street that basically intimidated me when I would ride my bike home. Okay. Mm. And now this was this was the start of this place of how do I respond? And my initial response, which is probably still one of my primary responses to things like this, that God is still at work in my life, but. Um, my initial response, and it was, I think, when I saw the picture in my mind of this situation, when it came back to me, this memory, I realized that I would ride my bike home from school, and this guy would uh, meet me on the street that I would typically come home on, and he would come out and stand in the middle of the street, and he wouldn't let me pass. And he wouldn't let me pass, and there was just a sense of of a little bit of a menacing tone to the way he said it. Yeah. So it wasn't just, you know, kind of, aha, we're playing a little joke here. It was, you try to pass and I'm going to hurt you. Mm. And that was an interesting thing because what I found myself doing was finding another way home. Yeah. <laughs> right. I took, I took another road. I, I, it took me longer, but I went another way home. And it was that sense of I'm confronted with something that frightens me. And what the, the light at that point on was that I tend to find another way around something if I don't like it. If I'm threatened, if I'm in that place, I want to go around rather than dealing with what's in front of me. Mm. Now, I'm not sure I would have known how to deal with it at that right. point in time. So I think I was in second grade. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure I would have had some skill set that would have said, okay, this is how you deal with this, you know, negotiating skills or something. But whatever the case, it, I, I just remember my response was, I need to find another way home because that way is scary. Where my anger began to move in was at some point when I got into junior high, I realized that running away was looked at as cowardice. And so I needed to figure out how I was going to address the threat that was coming at me. And so anger was one of those places. Uh, maybe even with anger, a little bit of bravado, you know, that sense of I can stand up and look you right in the eye and you don't scare me. And I was shaking in my boots. Okay, but again, I'm managing a persona, and I and I want to give off a certain vibe in that place. And I'm just grateful that you know whatever the case. Most of the time, you know, those things happen to me where you know I might have felt threatened or whatever it was. It, something else intervened, and I didn't have to either 
get punched in the face or follow through with anything else. I, I was, I escaped somehow, and maybe that was the grace of God in those moments too. But I do remember that in, when I was going back and doing this moral inventory, those kinds of things began to be light bulb moments where God was turning a light on and helping me see myself and seeing how I would respond and helping me then to hear how he wanted to be with me in those places. That's great. So inviting him in as you process the memories and uh, having these um, um, these moments in your imagination where you went back to that time and God spoke to you through that. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, him sitting with me in those moments and helping me understand what I was, what I was facing and saying, I'm with you in that moment. Hmm. And, you know, just coming to terms and realizing that, you know what, the danger of that, uh, I had escalated into to something enormous. And, uh, and yet, what God was doing in those moments was trying to help me say, you know, do you trust that I am all-powerful? Do you trust that I'm bigger than this occasion? Mm-hmm. That I'm, I'm greater than the threat you're facing? And like I said, these are places that God is still working with me in. Every day I wake up to things that create anxiety in me and threat and things like that. And he's, it's this sense of go back to what I'm telling you about how much I love you and go back to what I'm telling you about my capability in each of these situations. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, so I, and that's where scripture becomes very significant because it lays down some baseline understanding of what God's like for me. And so as I come to the scriptures, I get these, this sense of, you know, God, this is what you're like. And you promised that you're going to be with me always. And so when I walk into these situations, the God who is with me is more capable than whatever threat I might face or whatever situation that I feel incapable in. And therefore, I don't have to necessarily manage the persona. I just have to make sure I remember whose presence I'm in as I'm in those situations. And so that's a constant place of meditation for me. Going back to, okay, that's right, you're here, Lord. I tend to, it takes me all of two minutes and I forget. I'm in your presence. Guilty. <laughs> you're with me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it is an ongoing. The second thing that happened uh, in this moral inventory was that I was going to, I have three children, three adult children that are all married and have children of their own. And uh, I like to think of myself, again, this is, a, this is an issue of self-perception versus the reality of God's perception. Um, my self-perception was, I was a pretty good dad, okay? Now, I'm not saying I wasn't, but I kind of said I, I did a pretty good job here, and I looked around me at other parents, and I thought, I'm at least as good or better than they are. <laughs> the comparison, yeah, yeah, awesome. There is, there is 
uh, just a tremendous amount of ego that I have to deal with. That's another piece that God is continuing to address in my life. But as I sat there and I looked back to the moral inventory, one of the things I looked at was how I had been with my children in various occasions. And it was interesting to me to look and to see God point out to me places where my flawless parenting skills were not actually as flawless as I thought they were. (laughs) And my kids weren't there telling me this. Mm. It was as God was shining a light on these and said, you look at this and imagine yourself in your children's place. How would this make you feel? And that was unbelievable because I've had to come back to my kids, who I had already done a lot of apologizing to my children throughout, because when the rage came out and stuff like that, oftentimes it was it was so over the top, it was hyperbolic. Anything that they had done would have never warranted the kind of rage I might have exper- exp- uh, expressed in that moment. Yeah. And so I had done a lot of apologizing, but there were a lot of places that I had it was interesting that I looked at these things and I had said, oh, you know, if I had hurt them, I just said, oh, come on, that's no big deal. I didn't mean anything, really. And so those little messages, I had gotten really good at telling myself those things. Oh, that was nothing. That wasn't a big deal. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean that. Uh, you know, that was just teasing you. It wasn't a big deal kind of a thing. Well, all the teasing, all the sarcasm, all the little comments, all those little things, I began to look at in a different light. And I began to realize that with my kids, I had done things that had made them feel powerless and really uh, had wounded them at various places. Now, they're very kind. They still love me. I'm, I'm amazed at that. They do still love me. But... In those places, it became a great opportunity for God to speak the next word to me. What will you do with that now? And, you know, fortunately, in the process I was in, the next step moving from the moral inventory was you need to make amends with these people. You need to, you need to own this. You need to confess this. And confess this and get it out there. But then, you know, you need to get make it right with them. I think that's actually an eighth step. But, but it, whatever the case, you need to make amends. And I remember going to my kids and talking to them. Now, they're adults now. They have children. They're married. They've got all – and I'm going back to things that are long ago, and I'm bringing these up, and I'm saying, hey, look, the reality is, is there were things that I did to you, said to you, that I'm pretty sure probably hurts you. In fact, you may have responded in a way that they hurt you. And I just dismissed it. And I was not only wrong for treating you that way, but I was also wrong for dismissing it as nothing. Well, I, I would have never gotten there had God not been speaking through this the, a process, uh, speaking into... Uh, the places of my memories, speaking into the places of how I uh, see things. Hmm. What 
John, what when these things were revealed to you, what was your response like internally? What did you <laughs> when you saw God revealing these things? What, what was the yeah. sense you were getting from God? Was it like an angry judgment on you when you? No, that's not. That's typically that's not where I go in those kinds of places. Okay, I think it, it one of I think it was more the shame piece, uh, and then the dread. There was dread because I knew I needed to do something about it. And I was just uh, thinking, is there any way I can get out of this? <laughs> is, there any, is there anything, God, could I just tell you I'm sorry? And that would be enough. Um, but, but there wasn't a way around it. So there was dread, probably, and then there was a sense of, okay, but the, the cool thing is, and I think anybody who's experienced this in a real way gets this, is that once I had actually opened up and said it and been vulnerable in that place with my children, it was an incredible moment. First of all, they were very forgiving. But secondly, I, I connected with emotion in a way there that I don't typically connect with. So there were tears. And that was a wonder. That was a that was a gift. There was a gift of just feeling an emotional connection, not only with God, but with my kids in that way. That's great. So God gave you gifts, some pretty powerful gifts through through the invitation to walk through this and your your willingness to participate. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, we you know if we use Christianese, we call it obedience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, God says this is where you're supposed to go and this is what you're supposed to do. The question is now, now you have a choice. You have a choice as to what you're going to do. And sometimes he makes it hard to make another choice. But more often than not, you can choose to go the other direction. Yeah. And so part of the grace to me was God helping me to do it. Mm. Helping me to do the thing I needed, I knew I needed to do. And... I think sometimes we get into that place as uh, people that believe in God to think that I'd never be able to change that, or I'd never be able to, I'd never be able to stop that, or I'd never be able to say that that word. I'd never be able to reconcile in that place. And the reason we say that is because everything we believe depends on us. And grace seems to say that everything depends on God. <laughs> and so, you know, to come and say, you know, I believe in a God who is gracious is to trust that I can depend on him and he'll help me to participate in this wonderful thing called forgiveness. And be vulnerable like that. Be naked to yeah. your kids. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's the, you know, it's the, it's, uh, I, I, was, I was both naked and afraid. <laughs> so, uh, that's right 
Anyway. Well, we're going to take a, a quick break uh, here, and then um, even though I have a bunch more questions, I've been I've been asking all the questions, so I'm going to let Chris ask some questions. That would um, be great. I'd boy. love to hear Chris' voice yeah. question. Yeah, exactly. In so. pantomime, no less. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Annie? Hey, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Life Hurts, God Heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323-580-5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals, or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals.com. 2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. We'd also like to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Link Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word, or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. Chris, John, I have a, a little a little thing I know about each of you that you may not know about each other. And so I feel powerful right now. I just want to say that both of you are actually uh, musicians. <clears throat> well, very cool. Okay. Yeah. How's about right, that? So, Chris, <laughs> tell me what the, uh, what the instrument of choice is. Oh, keyboard. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And no, was, are you, do you compose? I do that too. Yes. Oh, nice. Um, nice. Yeah, I do. Uh, I've I've been a I had been in my in my past somewhere a worship pastor. Uh, okay. And uh, so yeah, led several bands and choirs and things like that. And um, and then we even had a community band that we called Two Minute Warning. And and the idea was just that we could call a band together and make something happen in two minutes, but, uh, <laughs> now that's good. <laughs> but, There's uh, talent there. Oh yeah. Well, so now it's actually, central, it's I, central I actually got burnt out on music. So, yeah. Okay. Do you, now are you in this, uh, from the central coast? No, I am from all over. Um, okay. but, but currently, what I what I'm doing is that I am a chaplain pastor for an assisted living uh, facility. Um, oh, and, cool. uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I had been doing. I, I was a senior pastor for a couple of churches and and uh, youth pastor. In fact, I was remembering that it was when I was a youth pastor back in '84, '85, somewhere in there, that I went to a a spiritual direction retreat uh, up in San Jose, and it was at a at a nunnery. Okay. Um, yeah. They do Very cool. Train for nuns. Yeah. And uh, so, and that was actually a pretty marvelous experience for me. So. I'll bet you. Yeah. I'll but bet I have you. to tell you, John, that uh, I, I 
as I'm just thinking about our audience, you know, there are so many hurting Christians. Uh-huh. And, um, and yes, they believe in Jesus and with their whole heart and, and uh, they're trying to, to live a right life before him. And yet uh, packed away in their heart is, is uh, pain that mm-hmm. they don't know how to address. And oftentimes mm-hmm. churches, uh, well, you know, Bible studies aren't always the best uh, conduit for dealing with those kinds of issues. And uh, a pulpit isn't always the best place to get the direction that someone needs. And, and so oftentimes mm-hmm. they, they end up in counseling uh, mm-hmm. where, where they have to spend a lot of money to do that. I've been in counseling and all that. So, mm-hmm. um so I'm just thinking from from the standpoint of our audience. Um, well, gosh, I have several questions here. Um, I, I want to get back to the idea of this pressing pause. Uh, one of sure. um, how, how did you get to that title? That press pause was it just about <laughs> making space, making space with God during a video game, or what was that? <laughs> well. Um, you know, the, to be honest, the the name came. I was sitting. The, I had been asked to speak at a retreat, and they said we need a title for the retreat. Oh, <laughs> and and uh, the idea of pause for me is significant. Um, I really, like I said, I think when the ministry actually press pause ministries was incorporated and all that. It was moving out of things that were going on in my life and had been going on for quite a while. This was going to be a way for me to, in a sense, uh, offer this to others. And, uh, and I had been doing that to some degree in a church setting for a while. Um, but even before that, I was doing that when I was on the road and I've been on the road in different iterations over my life. And so, but I, you know, I find myself oftentimes in places where the thing that, that I realized in pause was that many people struggle with the idea of stopping right. what they're doing. Right. And so words like in the scriptures, when the psalmist will say, wait on the Lord, people aren't quite sure what to do with that. Um, there, you know, it's much easier when they hear do for the Lord than it is to wait on the Lord because there's just this sense that if I'm doing somehow I'm more valuable. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about things like Sabbath, I mean, Mm -hmm. pause is really this place where Sabbath comes to bear on our lives, this idea of stopping. The word in the yeah. Hebrew basically means to cease. Uh, it means to stop. Uh, and one, uh, one way to translate it is to, uh, to in a sense, uh, open your hands and, and let go of something. But it is this idea that you are stopping whatever you're doing to engage in something different. Okay. Mm. And, uh, you know, God lays out this sense of Sabbath in some very particular ways for uh, kind of the children of Israel as they're moving out of the Exodus. And 
that was really helpful for me to just realize that this idea of stopping, of pause, isn't my idea so much as God is doing something to say, you know, people ha- are missing out on their Sabbath, whatever mm-hmm. that Sabbath is. They're missing out on the opportunity of not just a weekly Sabbath, but just uh, a daily sense of where are the places of pause. Right. So you can maybe hear something that you're not hearing in all your activity. Right. So pause uh, pause is not just, just to clarify for our audience, pause can be a retreat. Pause can uh-huh. be a space in the day. And pause can be happen, happening constantly throughout the, throughout the day, finding, finding rest when we give him our burdens, so to speak. Or, sure. um, and so, it, so this pause idea is dynamic. Um, because it, it has there there is a great dynamic to it. I think the piece that has been helpful to me in that is realizing that for many people, just giving them permission to pause mm. is is amazing because mm-hmm. most people find it difficult, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. Most of the people I run into find it difficult to give themselves permission to pause, yeah. Because we, again, we work in a culture that I have way too much to do. If I stop, it'll just all back up on me. Mm. Um, And that if I were to pause, that's kind of a luxury. I call that vacation. (laughs) Okay. So, so, so people, they plan for vacations, but then you look at what they do on their vacations. Right. There's very little pause, and oftentimes they go on vacation, come back more exhausted than when they left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, it's not evil. It's just to say it's kind of the, I mean, I guess you could look at it and say there may be something evil about it, but that in general it's not something somebody is doing a bad thing. It's just the way we've learned learned to operate. Right, and right. And so the, to give people permission to pause is part of what I find for me to be a gift I can give. To, so it, here's a fascinating thing. I'll, I'll do a day retreat with people, for instance. And okay. in this place of a day retreat, we will give them extended time for solitude and silence. Okay. And those are both oftentimes difficult concepts for people. It's, you know, to be quiet for an hour, to be quiet for four hours, to be quiet for a day, that's a hard thing for a lot of people. They're so used to saying something or having something being said to them. Yeah. And then just to be alone. To be yeah. alone in solitude for, you know, four or five hours is some some people find that extremely frightening. Okay. They're not quite it, sure what to do. And silence really uh, when you Go yes. ahead, finish that thought. Finish that thought. Well, I was so, just going to say, when you quiet the mind, oftentimes all those other voices begin to play in. So it's much easier to have the distraction of the external noise than to have to deal with the internal noise that mm. comes up when you're quiet. Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually, that was actually one of my thoughts was in, in the space of pause, what does the silence sound like? You know, <laughs> uh, 
because well, often people don't don't can't spend the time there. I know that I couldn't for most of my life. I mean, it was very mm-hmm. difficult to keep my cool. mind. I, I think I told uh, Kurt one time that you know we get confused. Uh, we're we're going to take time with God, but really we're just taking time with ourselves, mm-hmm. and uh, and not really allowing God in. I thought it was. You know, when when uh, as I listen to you and Kurt uh, talk, um, this is more philosophical, but it but it gets actually to the point. You know, I was thinking that that perhaps throughout history there's been a cycle of people uh, finding pause. That mm-hmm. is to say that uh, because cultures change, generations change. So like, for instance, when I was thinking about the World War II generation of believers, mm-hmm. there was a great equivocation of Bible knowledge and information with being mm-hmm. with God. Um, yeah. It was a generation of, you know, preaching and, and preaching connected sure. me with God. And then we get to the 60s generation and... Um, Everybody wanted to break away from that, and, and so obviously the you know music was a big part of that, but also community and breaking away mm-hmm. from traditions and and so forth, sure. and and, uh, and which which got us into the 70s of evangelism, and and I'm thinking, you know, we we actually had all these activities for God which replaced pause, and um, and in in the 80s, you know, we, uh, I, you see this great wave of praise and worship, and uh-huh. so people are connecting with God through music, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. But at the same time, to be honest, is there a is is God being allowed to speak in those times to us? Sure. You know, in those places of pause. And then I find it so fascinating, and it, I, I know we probably would all agree it's a product of our technology and the Internet. But, you know, when I'm thinking about my parents um, or, or, you know, people who taught me the scriptures, uh-huh. they, would never, they, wouldn't, they would never use words like journey, story, intimacy, mysticism, silence, waiting or Sabbath, they would never use those words in their own uh, dictionary to communicate their life with God. But we're getting that a lot today. And I Uh I feel like there is a, there is a, a deep hunger for connection with God um, that is coming because of the internet and because we are so on overload with information that people sure. are in fact getting burnout and in the burnout, they're going, what is there to live for? And even uh-huh. believers are in this place of despair. And they, I feel like they are looking and searching for a deeper connection with God. And uh, yeah. so what are your thoughts on that? Do you sense that? Well, first of all, I, I, I think there is some, uh, just some real value in the things that you're saying. So it's, it's, uh, I think there is, there are probably cycles that the church goes through to some degree, um, mm-hmm. and it, maybe we recycle periodically, you know, and, and come back around and find ourselves in the place that somebody was 
earlier in the 2,000 years of the church, or even longer, you know, back into the Old Testament Jewish community kind of a thing. And But there is this sense that, to some degree, that we move toward things, I think, I think we move toward things that uh, are kind of like the shiny new objects. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and so it's, it's fascinating to me that, you know, you get a lot of people uh, wanting uh, certain things now that they might not have even thought about 10 years ago from a spiritual standpoint. Right. Right. Because it just wasn't on anybody's radar and somebody did it and said something, wrote a book on it and it became a bestseller <laughs> and everybody all of a sudden said, boy, I need to do that too. Yes. And we need 10 more books on it. And, uh, so, you know, those kinds of things happen. It's our, it probably, I mean, you'd have to kind of look and say, this is human nature to some degree. Mm-hmm. We are drawn to the places that in some ways speak to us in, in a deeper way, but oftentimes we're looking for an experience more than the quality of life that is produced by that experience. Mm. And I think we like to feel good. Yes. We want, and we want to feel like we're a part. And so sometimes just the idea that somebody has a new idea and you get to be a part of it, you know, puts you out there, you know, in that place of making, I feel better. Mm -hmm. And I think also sometimes we like to have the sense of being, you know, on the forefront of something. And so we, we come into something else, but vocabulary is an interesting thing because I think we're always trying to discern what the vocabulary is that's going to be relevant to what is now. Uh-huh. And that's a hard thing because, you know, you, terms that you used 10 years ago, all of a sudden they're passe now. Nobody, <laughs> right. nobody, said, nobody says it like that anymore. And you right. kind of go, oh, really, I didn't know that. What yeah. dictionary are you using? Because I need to get that dictionary. Exactly. Um, you know, as a speaker, you know, as going into places and speaking for people, you know, I'm always aware that ways, phrases that I use may be uh, mm. outdated. The cliche that I thought was so relevant is no longer relevant. Right. Um, but that's just the nature of language to some degree. It, it, and it, too, may recycle uh, again as well. And so you'll see people using phrases from the 60s that haven't been used in 15, 20 years. You know? sure. And you kind of go, oh, in, in, I in every generation that love. Yeah, but it's interesting also that in every generation you do have people uh, writing or seeking this place of space. Uh, sure. This, this, and well, there's an earnestness to it, and um, and that's that's kind of interesting too because it's it tells me in one sense. Well, like I was pondering this today. Um, does how do I say this? Um, it's easy for me to to go well. My experience should be everybody's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but should it be? <laughs> and and so you know every you know like I said in every 
generation, you have people who are pursuing the presence of God. And we go, well, everybody should be pursuing the presence of God. But the reality is, is that uh, the majority of that generation find a great difficulty in finding the presence of God in their life sure. or, or being able to energize or resource from it. And uh, anyway. Well, I think it's an, it's an interesting thing. I think that uh, just to look and say, you know, my experience is my experience. And there may be things in my experience to become helpful to somebody else in their experience. Right. Right. But I think one of the things about being in recovery that was helpful to me was, is that my, there was a tendency I had to take the template of my life and say, this is, should be everybody's template. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that has helped me to at least be aware that I might do that. And secondly, to pull back in that awareness from doing that. And, right. But that does not mean that my story, my testimony, my witness, whatever that is, might not stir something in someone else's life to say, oh, that's a different way of seeing it. That's a way uh, maybe I haven't tried. I need to look yeah. at that. There may be something there. Now, Good. but for me, a lot of times it's, but I want to control it. <laughs> right. I want to I want to control this baby. I want you to get my thing. And I think when you're when you preach or you teach, I mean the exactly. point is you're trying to get information across. So that, you don't right. just sit yeah. there and say, "Well, here's a here's a, you know, four nice ideas." You say you you sense that and this is the prophetic voice to some degree. If preaching is to some degree that prophetic voice being made known that it isn't just here are five suggestions. Now, doesn't mean that when I say things, I don't say, here's a suggestion you might try. But at the same time, when I'm teaching, there is a high degree of saying, you know, this is, this is a place that we're trying to get you to understand and grapple with. And mm-hmm. so it's not mm-hmm. just a, you know, I didn't put these four or five points down on a piece of paper just because I felt like well, I needed to use more space in the bulletin. I'm putting them there because they're, I believe they're significant and you need to pay attention to those. Uh And that's part of the process of listening to the Lord to kind of say, what is that? (laughs) What, what is supposed to go down here in this outline? What is this piece that's supposed to go here? So if I sit with the Lord, I'm hopefully getting that. But at the same time, when it comes to the outcomes that come from those things, too often when I put my template on, it's the idea that now I'm going to get somebody that looks like me, sounds like me, does life like me. <laughs> right, right. You know? Right. And so it's the back off from those outcome places that I think God continues to deal with me. I want to somehow control the outcomes. Right. That's what like, sounds like all of us <laughs> at some yeah. level. <laughs> yeah. Well, it yeah. might be. It might be, but I, you know, I'm not going to put my template on you and tell you it is. <laughs> I, I have one more question for you, John, and then I'll turn it back over to Kurt. Um, you, uh, first, I have to tell you, I, I totally identify with the ego 
thing when it comes mm-hmm. to raising kids and family. And um, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing that we have to wait so long to identify the ego thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wish I could do a yeah. duo on so many things. And I, I kind of chuckled because I did address some of my kids uh, asking them, you know, I was getting ready to apologize for things that I did only to have them go that they didn't remember it, you know? <laughs> yep. Like, oh, I know. Okay. <laughs> I know. But uh, um, you also use the word frightening. And mm-hmm. I, I have to, uh, for those who are in our audience, doing or creating this place of space is a frightening thing because God wants me to deal with stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was just going to ask you, what would you tell our audience? um, What would be the best first steps um, to, if people are going, you know, I really need to do this. I really need to have God speak into my life and I need Mm -hmm. to create space for him to do that. Do you have some practical uh, steps for them, for us? Well, I think the first thing is is that you, you have to be at least open to the idea that God is speaking and would like to speak to you. Excellent. Okay. And part of that is how do I view my relationship with God? If I view my relationship with God as, and I think there are two ways to do this, God is God and he just kind of does what he wants. And the other is, I'm me and God's there for me just to tell him everything that I want or need, and then he kind of makes it happen and deals or deals with it somehow. And I think what I'm more and more convinced of is that I'm looking at a relationship, if I'm talking about this, this is an actual relationship, that there are probably things like most of my good human relationships that are transferable. Uh, For instance, in my best human relationships, I don't get to do all the talking. (laughs) Now, I love to hear myself talk. I love the fact that you asked me to be on your podcast because I love to hear myself talk. So relationships can be really challenging if you love to hear yourself talk. If And so I can be so self-consumed with the thing I have to say that nobody else gets a word in edgewise. Okay? Now, imagine that in your relationship with God. When I, when I think about – when people talk about prayer, prayer tends to be me bringing my list to God, whatever the list is, and I read through the list. God mm-hmm. bless so-and-so, do this. I need this today. This is happening. Please take care of this. And once I'm done with the list, I say amen. Right. And so – my relationship with God can easily drift, become my monologue, and God gets to sit there and listen. And if I give God any space to say something back to me, if he doesn't speak quickly, I'm out of there. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's exactly right. 
he, he better get it in quick because I've just given him a whole list of things to think about. And so he better get his piece in quickly because I don't have time. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So first of all, to be open to the idea that God's speaking. And then secondly, if I'm going to view this as a relationship, then I have to begin to take seriously what does it mean to give space for God to say something in my time with him. And that can be frightening because a lot of times then what we have to deal with is when we are quiet, all those, all of our own inner voices begin to come up. Boy, what time is it? I've got, oh, I've got five minutes left. Oh, man. I mean, you know, everything begins to come to the surface at that moment. It's just like, you know, C.S. Lewis one time said that, you know, the first job every morning is to push aside all the other voices, all the wild animals that are running around in there and just stop and make yourself available to God. Mm. So, I mean, it is one of those things where when you are quiet, the thing you may initially experience, and I'm not saying this is, has to be, right, but, it it is pretty common for people to feel very uncomfortable because all of a sudden everything that they had put off, everything they had not paid attention to about their feelings, about who they are, about what was going on in their life, about the agendas that they need to get done, all those things begin to come up. So one thing that I would do in times of listening and this isn't necessarily something for everybody to do because I think sometimes we just need to sit there. First of all, you need to sit long enough for those things to settle down. Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a jar. Um, I think this is a, an old Buddhist trick. Um, I have a jar that's full of sediment and water. Oh. And if you shake the jar up. It, there's absolutely no clarity there. But if you set the jar down and you allow it to sit for a few moments, the sediment begins to settle. Mm-hmm. And you begin to have clarity again. And I think, you know, if we transfer that into just the whole idea of what does it mean to be quiet with the Lord, in some ways being quiet with the Lord is taking the jar of my life and setting it down. That's a great the sediment, yeah. the sediment to settle. That's a great picture. I was and thinking about so, that idea of too of like you know if when you first sit down it actually kicks all the sediment into the air because all those emotions and feelings and things you haven't paid attention to rise up in you as soon as you sit down. So sometimes sitting down is what I hear you saying, John, is shaking the jar. And yeah, you know, oh, it's. Yeah, well, you've been shaking, and now all of a sudden you stop. <laughs> and now, now you see all that stuff mm-hmm. that has been being shaken up. <laughs> and so you just haven't been paying attention to it. And yeah. all of a sudden now you sit down, and it is the thing that you are aware of. So it takes some time. If you're going to listen to the Lord and for his voice, you've got to be able to, one, be open to the idea that God's speaking. Two, you've got to be open to the idea that this is a dialogue, not a monologue. And three, you've got to be open to the sediment settling and taking the time to let that happen. 
Would you call those three things postures, John? Those are before practices. There are these attitudes or postures that you have to come in with. Yeah, that's probably, yeah. I mean, you might call them practices. I mean, because you might have to practice the idea of openness. Uh Uh, You might have to practice the idea that this is not going to be me doing the monologue, so I have to practice silence. Yes, Silence in the mind, yeah. Yeah, yeah, silence in the mind, silence in the heart, you know, all those raging emotions that are going on, whatever it is. But uh, but silence, you have to, sometimes you just have to say, I got to practice silence. Yeah. Would, would you say, then, oh, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, would you say that went to practice that, so... I'm sitting and I'm being still and all of the sediment of my thoughts and feelings that I haven't dealt with in the last week, 10 years, whatever that looks like that I finally sit down and deal with that. Would you say part of practicing silence is sensing that feeling, acknowledging it and giving it to God? Like I, God, I'm I'm sensing that I'm angry. Would you would you take this sense of anger and let me know what's going on there, and then go back to listening? I, I'm just looking for some. What do you do with the things that are yes. flying around? Heard, even that, you're, that is a great piece. And so just to let it go to the Lord. I mean, just to say I it's there. I acknowledge it, and here it is. And I'm going to move on from that place. Now. Let me give you another visual. This was, I was in a spiritual direction kind of retreat with some uh, people, and we, uh, they were, this woman stood up and she, we were talking about uh, just the practice of meditation and how silence is incorporated into that. But we were talking about trying, you know, in the midst of all the clutter to see God, to hear God in that, okay? And yes. that's what we're dealing with in these places, that sediment. It's just the, it's the clutter of our lives to some degree. It's not to say that it's bad stuff. Right. I mean, if you come into my, look at my desk and you see, oh, there's clutter there. It's not to say that that clutter is unimportant. It's just to say that it's, it's arranged in such a way that it just looks like clutter. You can't <laughs> see through it. It's not, it's not been dealt with. Right. It may need to be dealt with. First of all, you have to be able to say, this isn't the time to deal with it. Mm. I've devoted this time to something else. So, yes, offering that to the Lord and letting go is a great thing. But here was the visual this woman had. She said, so what I do is I, I use my imagination, and I imagine that I'm sitting and looking at the horizon um, as the sun sets across the water. Okay? Now, you... I'll live in a place where you can actually do that. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> On the Central Coast, you can look out across the water and watch the sunset. Yes. So, uh, but as you do that, she said, it's as though all of a sudden there are just hundreds of sailboats crossing, and they're obscuring my view. Mm. And that is so to speak, the sediment, that, so to speak, is the clutter. That is, that is all those thoughts, feelings, 
uh, agendas that are coming up, and they are just they're sailing into your unobstructed view of God. And her her piece that the the practice was to let them sail by. Hmm. Wait. Sorry. Yes. To wait. And that's the piece that can be so difficult is because we want it. We want to see God now. Yes. (laughs) Because one of the things that I am uh, incorporating in my life uh, and fairly recently, I would say within the last year is recognizing different kinds of moments with God. Uh Uh, Sure. Much the same way that, you know, the Bible talks about different kinds of prayers and petitions, but I, um, I didn't actually relate it at that point. It was just like there were moments where I, I definitely need to hear from the Lord. And so I work on this, you know, letting the sediment fall and so forth. But then there are other times when uh, I got a circumstance or a situation um, and I need to bring it before the Lord. So I bring it before the Lord and then I go, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, because I, I don't have time to listen for, I just need, uh, because of whatever this, how the circumstance is set up in my life. Um, I don't pause and wait. Um, and perhaps I need to, but, but, uh, but now I'm not so much shaming myself into that. I'm just realizing there that that's a different kind of time. Um, I can't give an, well, I suppose I could be made to give an hour uh, in the morning and an hour in the afternoon and the hour in the evening and an hour at midnight. I suppose I could do that. But um, oftentimes uh, that's, that's just not real life, especially for busy family members and things like that. Um, But but I'm recognizing there's a place where there's a space to listen. There's a place and a space to worship. There's a place and a mm-hmm. space to pray for others. And there's a space mm-hmm. and a place for me to petition for things going on in my life. And that, mm-hmm. that's just been kind of my, my sure. experience. I mean, you know, in that, first of all, let me say this. Oftentimes what people hear when they hear spiritual disciplines or practices is here's another, here's another set of a list of things to do. Right. Right. Okay. I, I really believe that when Jesus says, take my yoke on you and learn from me, that he is saying that to us all. And he is saying that to me. And so the yoke that Jesus has for me may not be the same yoke he has for the next person. Mm. Okay? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the writer Pete Scazzera. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. There we go. I touched a note. Um, yes. I was, in a, I was listening to him one time, and he made a comment. He just said, you know, if if the yoke that you are carrying is a burden, then it may not be the yoke of Jesus. Hmm. So, and he said it more eloquently than that, but that was the gist. It was 
sometimes we may be carrying the yoke that everybody else says we need to have. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the yoke that Jesus has for us. Right. right. And part of the wonder of grace is that, one, God meets us where we are. He doesn't say, I'm going to wait for you to get to this place mm, that's, before you that's and I will have fellowship. Right. That's very good. I needed to hear that. Yeah, he meets us. I like He'll that. He'll meet you where you are. Thank you. Yeah. And that's just, that's good news because I'm a screw up. <laughs> I'm a mess. And so to know that God receives me in that place and loves me there. Now, that doesn't change the fact that his deepest desire for me is that I would become the best version of myself that he intended. So as much as he loves me where I am now, he's, he may have some ideas about what the next step is. And so listening can become incredible in those moments. And the practices that someone has, just because I do prayer a certain way or because I read my Bible a particular way, or do, doesn't mean that everybody has to do that or to be a Christian. Now, there may be some disciplines that I would look at and say, these are pretty common to everybody, that, that if they want to take the next step with the Lord, these may be helpful to them. Okay? Well, but What would be some of those, John, um, for you well, in this season, especially that are help, helping you pause, like some practices? Okay. When I... Uh, we have a mutual friend, and I do. His name is uh, Craig Bapp. Okay. Yes. Me, and me Craig and is uh, he is a he's an amazing guy. But when I was first introduced to this practice described as lectio divina, okay, kind of this devotional reading of scripture, uh, Craig was the one, and then in addition to it, and it was fascinating to me because. The way that, you know, I was used to coming to the Scripture uh, from the standpoint of a student of the Word. Mm. You know, what's, what, are, what are all the truths here? What is the grammar and the syntax? What's the language? What's all the stuff going on here? And so I was, I was good. And it wasn't like God wasn't using that in my life. He was. He used it deeply sure. and continues to use it. Yeah. But this was a different way to engage with the scriptures. And it involved, uh, you know, the classic way it involves four movements, but we did it in a group setting, and it it involved three movements. But with each movement, uh, there was a prompt, and after that prompt, there was just quiet. And we were just told that that was our moment just for us to sit quietly with the Lord and that piece of the prompt, okay? And for me, that was uh, an enlightening experience because, for one, I wasn't used to uh, listening to the scriptures that we were paying attention to the scriptures. That I was used, used to using my eyes a lot. I'd read. But this was somebody else was reading the text, and I was listening. And as they read and they gave these various prompts to listen to, 
I thought, okay, this is a little out there for me because this sounded very much to me like somebody saying, you know, I, I, I put my finger down on the Bible and landed on this word, and that's, the, that's what I'm supposed to do today kind of thing. And that just sounded like, again, the insanity kind of place. <laughs> None but, of my professors would approve of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what, but what I discovered in those moments, was is that God was speaking and that I was hearing in a new way. And part of this is being open to the idea that God might want to expand the way we hear from him. Mm-hmm. Through the scriptures. Yeah, well, through the scriptures or just through life. So here, Psalm 29 says this, the voice of the Lord is upon the water. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Okay, now, all of those talk about the voice of the Lord, but all of them have to do with things going on in creation. And so somehow in my frame, God has been saying, okay, we need to push the edges out a little bit so you can include some of these other ways I might be speaking. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, for some people, just getting to that place can, can be a transformative moment. Yes. Yes. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, God hit me with a rock, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I knew he really wanted me to do this. It can be just as simple as looking around at creation and having God draw out of that place something of his life for you. Mm-hmm. And Good. so, but that's that's one place. You know, when I did this practice called Lectio Divina, it just allowed me to listen maybe in a new way to the scriptures, and to my, to the spirit. Mm-hmm. Would, would so, you describe, so, though, the, yeah. uh, the practice, those three, you mentioned someone was uh, reading um, uh-huh. a section of scripture and then giving a prompt or a question, uh, something, sure. do you remember um, those, those, like uh, the three, there were three readings, uh, I believe, in that setting that we were in. Uh-huh. And uh, this is also something really powerful for me from um, from those uh, those retreats that uh-huh. I was on. Some of those with you, I don't I don't know. You've probably done a lot more than I have. Um, where we did where we did that. What Craig Bab calls it is morning. He calls it morning prayer. Uh, could you describe the three ways? Uh, sure. The, the three movements. Yes. Thank you. So here you're in a group of people. This is this was in a, kind of designed for a group setting, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it alone. And I at times will do it alone. But um, in a group, uh, what we would do is we uh, we would read the scripture three different times. The same scripture. Uh, the the text. Yes, the same text. And the text we got from the Book of Common Prayer, okay? So we just followed kind of where the calendar was for the Book of Common Prayer. 
and we took the gospel passage for that day, and we would read that text. And the first time we read it, we'd invite people just to listen, and here's the prompt, to listen for a word or phrase from the text. And we would try to help them to not necessarily look for a word that they thought was significant, as much as what word just popped off the page to them. And that made, first of all, that made people uncomfortable. Okay? <laughs> because, again, it fell out of the nice kind of, this is how you read the Bible, this is how you interpret Scripture, this is how, to just listen for a word off the page was much like that finger just dropping on the page and saying, that's it. Mm-hmm. But this was your ear. This was listening with, uh, this is what uh, Benedict would say, to listen with the ear of your heart. Mm-hmm. And so, someone else read it. First, someone else was reading yes. the so text. There would be and a reader. The reader would read the text, and then I would be sitting there listening for a word or a short phrase from that text. And you know, I was I was encouraged not to necessarily try to find the best word of the text, the one that sounded the most spiritual. But just to listen for whatever that word was that caught my attention. And sometimes it was pretty random. At least initially it seemed that way. But then the second reading came through. And so, you know, we listened for a word or phrase. We sat with that word or phrase then for uh, several moments, you know, just quiet with that word or phrase. And then we sat with a small group of people and shared just that word or phrase. We didn't try to give any editorial comment on why it was a good word or phrase or what we believed it meant or anything. We just shared the word or phrase. Then we went to the second reading. Text was read again, and we then shared what emotion or feeling is provoked in you as you hear this text. And one of the things that we would oftentimes invite people to do was to imagine themselves in the story. And since we were reading a a lot of narrative, a lot of the gospel, a lot of it did come out of story. There were characters, and you could identify with a character. You could put yourself in that character's shoes and then ask yourself the question, how would they feel if they were there? What were they feeling, do you think, in that moment? And so, you know, certain stories that, you know, come alive that way. I mean, if you take uh, John 8, uh, the first part of the chapter, and you take the woman caught in adultery, and you just ask that question, what are people feeling? What is this woman feeling? And you begin to identify with those emotions. Well, oftentimes those can be a mirror of your own emotions. Mm. You might pick up on a particular emotion that you are feeling at that time. But the point of the second reading is to tap in to what emotions are provoked in you as you hear this. And then the third reading, again, you have some space then to meditate on that feeling or emotion, and then you share again in the group, and then the third reading, you read, and with that reading uh, and listening to the reading, you're just listening for this question, what's the invitation from the Lord for you today? And we try to keep it in the context of a 24-hour period of time, so this isn't, 
you know, the Lord's vision for you for the next 10 years. It's just for today. <laughs> just you know? for today. Yeah. What's the, what's the invitation that Jesus is giving to you? And it might relate to your word or phrase. It might relate to your emotion or feeling. But you begin to see these things link up a little bit. It's kind of interesting how it happens. I, I, obviously, when I did it, I realized the Spirit is in this in a way I, I wouldn't have. If somebody had just laid it out for me, I would have had no clue. But I got the sense the Spirit is in this. And uh, he's making the connections that need to be made, and even to the point of the invitation. And what is the invitation that I'm hearing from the Lord now? Would you give... Sometimes it's simple. Oh, yes, please. Share some of those. Because that one's the most, I think, for me, to try to explain to people you're listening for God's invitation, or sometimes they say God's gift, is probably the most... Uh, intangible like what is an invitation from God so I, you were about to do it and I interrupted so I apologize no but. no I you know it again oftentimes we we want to create something that's flowery or, or something like that but it can be as simple as the invitation is that you just be with me today now we might think well okay so what but that may be the biggest thing you need to know is, is that Jesus wants to be with you. Or it may be that there's something that was said in that, much like when I talked about going through the, my fourth step, my fearless moral inventory, that as I go to those places and hear that word or phrase, Jesus says, who's the person that you need to respond to out of that word or phrase or that emotion or feeling? Mm. So it may be a place where God calls me to do something, to, to actually step into a relationship. And I, you know, I need to go and ask my wife forgiveness because I said this and it was hurtful. And, or I may need to go and uh, ask somebody, how do I go about this? Because I need more information. Or God may just say something like, look, it's not about something you're going to do right now. It's just I want you to be with me and not to worry about all the things you have to do. Mm. Now, that invitation could be by far one of the most difficult ones. Because to be with Jesus and to allow him to set the agenda for the time is one of the challenges of the Christian life. But it is... It truly is what it means to be those that say Jesus is Lord. Because if we went into any kingdom and we went to the king and we said, whose agenda is primary here? We'd say, well, the king's agenda is primary. But I like to think my agenda is primary. <laughs> yes. In fact, I tell Jesus in my long list that my agenda is primary. Yeah. I, so I, I hope that helps. Yeah, it does. It does. And and one thing I I would say in that from my experience, to add to that last thing, and John, maybe this is yours too, is oftentimes the word or phrase that I first hear is tied, you know, tied to the invitation. But even even that, the invitation is oftentimes, for me at least 
not not as clear in that moment. Like I understand the invitation. Like I'll give you one example. I had a time where God said, let me be your father through the reading of Matthew chapter six, where he says, your uh-huh. father in heaven knows that you need these things. So don't worry about them. Right. And, uh-huh. it, and I heard in that, let me be your father, Kurt. And then yeah. that was clear as far as God's speaking to me. I knew that it was God, but what it meant, what I was supposed to do with that then took not only days of prayer for me to go, God, I don't understand how to let you be my father in the way that you're asking me through this prompt. And I would actually, those days turned into months. And Uh uh, eight months or nine months later from that prompt, I am still praying that. Uh, Show me how to let you be my father. And there's layers to that, kind of like the root that you said uh, before. So is that is that something that you also have experienced times where you oh, yeah. get invitation? Thing. With that kind of thing, Kurt, I think this is part of what we discover in these places of, of uh, doing a practice with God. Is we call it a practice because we're, we're kind of getting ready. We kind of, you know, for for many years, I had my devotion, so to speak, my quiet time, whatever you want to describe it as. And at the end of it, it was over. Mm-hmm. And I came, I, you know, later in my life, I began looking at how I viewed time. And I realized that I had this very, very kind of stilted, skewed view that there was my time. And then there was God time. And so I gave God his time. And then I got to do pretty much everything I wanted to do with my time. Okay? And there was this realization that all time is God's time. Okay? So in that, when I do a practice, I'm, I'm, it's not the end when I finish Lectio Divina and I say, oh, I got my invitation, I'm done. Right. I practice Lectio Divina, so, and in that, I want to hear the voice of the Lord. And I practice listening in that context in a very intentional manner, so that in all the unintentional moments of my life, I can keep listening. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And we've got like two minutes left, or less, actually, a minute, one minute, okay, uh, a couple books. Brad Jersak, Can You Hear Me? is a book about how God is speaking all the time and how to tune in. So I want to give that. But uh, that's all the time we have. John, I want to thank you so much for being that's vulnerable great, and honest yeah. and sharing so vulnerably with us. It, it was amazing. I can't thank you enough. It was terrific. Well, it was my pleasure. I had a great time. You guys are gracious to let me do what I do best, which is listen to my own voice. So (laughs) thank you. (laughs) You're in good company. (laughs) We all like to listen to our voice. (laughs) There we go. And for everyone who's listening, thank you for listening. And please spread the word about Life Hurts, God Heals, and we'll talk to you next time. Yes. God bless.
Okay. Yeah, and there's the show's music. over, so now we can really talk. No. <laughs> oh yeah. Now you want to know what I really think. Yeah. There you go. Hey. Thank you. Well, th- thank you very much for letting me be a part. It was very gracious of you to invite. I appreciate it. It was, uh, and you know, like I said, I am learning to let 